Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, today we'll be looking at verses 11 through 18 as we finish up our study in Galatians. It's been a long road, but hey, we're finally here. We're at the end, and it's been a good study. I've thoroughly enjoyed it myself. Next week, we'll be starting a new, a new study, new series on worship matters, worship matters. So uh, come back next week ready for that. But today we are finishing up Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 through 18. If you found your place there in Galatians, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the whole law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the, God, on the, upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Lord, we ask that you would bless the reading of your holy inspired word. And Lord, that you would today write its eternal truth on each and every one of our hearts, Lord. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It is amazing how one significant event, one significant event can completely transform your life. Hans Luther had great ambitions for his son, Martin. Hans was a miner by trade, and, and he wanted a better life for his son, Martin. And his son, Martin Luther, was, was quite bright. And so he had a plan for Luther's life, for Martin's life. He was going to send Martin to the best schools that he could possibly afford, and he was going to send Martin to, be, to become a lawyer. He wanted to become a lawyer. I mean, that was one of the premier careers of the day. And so he sent his son to the best schools he could possibly afford to go and become a lawyer to make his father proud. Well, one day when Martin was on his way down the road, he came through a massive thunderstorm. And in fear, in that moment, he cried out, St. Anne! He was a Catholic at the time. St. Anne! St. Anne! If you save me, I will become a monk. And after the storm subsided, Martin escaped with his life, so he went, he uh, he dropped out of law school and went to the monastery and became a monk. This one significant event completely changed the trajectory of his life. 
Then a few years later down the line there, another significant event changed his life. When one night as he was studying the book of Romans, he came upon the verse that says, The just shall live by faith. And Martin Luther realized that his life of trying to do works to please God was in vain. And that salvation, justification, was by faith alone. And that night he trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. And his life was utterly transformed once again. You know, that's how it should be in our own lives. That's what we see in Paul's text today in this book in Galatians, this last paragraph. As Paul writes to us, he points to this final fact that a justified life is a cross-centered life. A justified life is a cross-centered life. A justified life has been completely transformed by the fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has utterly been transformed. A justified life is a cross-centered life. And today we're going to see five marks of a cross-centered life. Paul has already laid out, you remember the course of this book, and since we're finishing up today, let me just remind you of how this book has been laid out for us. First of all, Paul, he, he laid the foundation of his argument. He argued for his, his own apostolic authority there in the first couple of chapters. After he, uh, after he grounded his, or founded his apostolic authority, he went on to argue that justification was by faith alone. These false teachers had come into the churches of Galatia, these churches that Paul had just founded, these churches. Now he's back home in Antioch and he hears these false teachers have gone through the churches of Galatia and they've been teaching another gospel that salvation, justification was by faith plus works. Paul told you it was just by faith alone, but it's not by faith alone. No, you've got to have works there too. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the ceremonies of the Mosaic Law. You've got to do all of these things plus faith in Jesus. And Paul is writing back and saying, no, 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 no. No, here's the gospel. This is the gospel I received from the Lord Himself, that justification is by faith in Christ alone, period, nothing else. And then we saw, he pointed us to what the justified life looked like. A justified life is a spirit-led life. And now as he comes to the conclusion, he points to himself and says, See here, justified life is a cross-centered life. And so here we're going to see five marks of the cross-centered life. And as we go through these five marks of the cross-centered life, I, my prayer is that today you would examine your own life. Look at your own life. Is your own life cross-centered? Are there some areas in your life that you need to work on? Then today, pray to God that He would strengthen you and give you the ability to live the cross-centered life. Now let me give credit where credit is due. This outline, the basic outline that we're going through today is not my own, but it comes from Tony Merida and his exposition and Christ-centered exposition of Galatians. But it was so well, I just adapted it for my own this morning. Five marks of a cross-centered life. First of all, a cross-centered life is humble rather than prideful. A cross-centered life is humble rather than prideful. 
Look there in the first couple of verses. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, why does Paul put that here? Why does he write that? Uh, that's a curious thing. Why does all of a sudden he talks about his handwriting at the end of this letter? Well, Paul draws out to this point that uh, his writing here is not like, it, it, it's not the perfect writing. His handwriting is not perfect, right? And see with what large letters I am writing. Now, Paul, typically, he used scribes to write most of his letters, which was the practice of the day. Most teachers would use scribes and secretaries to, to write letters uh, with. And, and then at the end, he would typically pick up the pen and just kind of sign off at it at the end, maybe write a couple of paragraphs and then close the letter. Perhaps now Paul is doing that. He's picking up the pen, and, and it's only this last paragraph that he is writing. Maybe it was the whole letter. There's arguments out there in the, scholar, in the scholarly world about what is what there, but that makes no difference. Paul, at this point at least, he's picking up the pen. And he's saying, look what, with what large letters I am writing to you. Now, why is that significant? Because these false teachers had come in and they began to put down Paul. Oh, you don't need to listen to Paul. Paul is a nobody. Listen to us. We come with the authority of the church back in Jerusalem. And they start putting down Paul. And Paul says, look with what large handwriting I'm writing to you with. My concern is not your impression of me. That's what he's getting at. I don't care what you think of me. My handwriting is big. My handwriting is not perfect. It's not with the eloquence of, 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 of a secretary, a paid secretary. But look at my handwriting. I'm not trying to impress you with my own abilities. That's not my concern. My concern is not to build up my own uh, reputation with you. My concern is your salvation. He's getting that point across to us. Paul is not a proudful man. He's not a prideful man. He is a humble man. And his concern is not for himself. His concern is for others. As you continue on, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a, a, a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, he's saying that my... I'm not worried about what you think about me, but these guys, they are. They're out for themselves. They're out to build up their own reputation. They've heard about Paul. The, the report about Paul and what Paul had done in the name of Christ had gone throughout the church. Here was a man who had once persecuted the church, and now he is the church's greatest uh, missionary going throughout the world now, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the church is just growing at the ministry of Paul. And that led to some jealousy back in Jerusalem. These false teachers, they're jealous of Paul's ministry, and so now they're going through after Paul, and they're trying to, to, to reap some of the benefits. They want to build up their own reputation. He says, they're not concerned about you. They just want to build up their own reputation. They want rights to boast in the flesh. That's why they want to circumcise you, so they can go back home to the boys back in Jerusalem and say, hey, look what we did. Yeah, Paul, he took them the gospel, but we made them Jews. They want, rights to, they want the boasting rights, the bragging rights that Jason was talking about earlier. That's what they're looking for. They have no concern 
Paul says, For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They want bragging rights. They want rights to boast. Paul says, that's not my goal here. I don't care if you think I'm an eloquent teacher. I don't care what you think of me, Paul says. Uh, Here's what I'm concerned about, that you know the truth. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins as according to Scripture. That He was raised again according to the Scriptures. And if you believe in Him, there is salvation in Him and Him alone. Not by your works. You can never do enough works. It's all about God's grace through faith in Jesus. That's it. Paul's concern is for this church and the people there, not for his own reputation. So a cross-centered life Paul displays for us here is a humble life rather than a prideful life. And I just think about our greatest example here is Jesus Christ Himself, is it not? In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about there the, the example that Christ gives to us. He says there in uh, chapter 2, verse 4, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Well, let me back up just a little bit there. Do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, he says, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. See, that's what the Judaizers were doing. They were not counting themselves, counting others as more significant. They were counting themselves as most significant, building up their own reputation. And Paul says, no. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was God in eternity past. Yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He's not something that we as human beings, we can't exalt ourselves up to, to be God. So what did he do? He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men, he became, he humbled himself. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, He humbled Himself. He above all others has right to boast. He is God Almighty. He is our Creator, our Sustainer, the Giver of our lives. And He humbled Himself, taking on human form, facing the same temptations that we face. Facing the same trials that we face. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father's will. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh, a cross-centered life is not a life of pride. It is a a life of humility. We must daily, we must daily crucify the pride of the flesh. Hang it on Calvary's cross and live a life in humility. So a cross-centered life is humble rather than prideful. Second, a cross-centered life boasts in Christ rather than self. A cross-centered life boasts in Christ rather than in self. 
you know, the, the way of the world is always self-exaltation. Is it not? I mean, we see this displayed all around. If you have a guest speaker, what do you do? You exalt them. You tell about their, all their accolades of life. If you get together with guys, you, you, you begin talking about what you've done. I, oh, I've done this, I've done that. Oh, I've killed the bigger deer. I, uh, you know, I've, kill, I've caught the bigger fish. It's all about self-exaltation. We're always bragging about this, that, or the other. That's the human nature. That's the human thing to do. It's, a, it's in our nature. We want to brag. We want to have those bragging rights. We want to boast in our own accomplishments. I mean, even at pastor's conferences, you get a bunch of preachers together. Oh, look at what we're doing at my church. Man, things are hopping and rolling. They're doing like this, and, and we've done this, we've done that, and, and that's the way it goes. But Paul says, no, no, none of that. I'm not interested in any of that. Look what Paul says there. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, But far be it from me to boast... Far be it from me to boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul has no, he, he doesn't want to boast about anything other than Jesus. And Paul, he, he will admit, he has rights to boast, right? In other places, he, he, he goes on, he gets into what he calls foolish talk. In fact, in Philippians again, uh, that's just an excellent example there, Philippians. He talks about that. Here he's dealing with the same kind of teachers. They're boasting about their position back in Jerusalem. And Paul says, you know what? If anyone else thinks they have reason for confidence, for boasting in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, I have the better pedigree. Paul's saying, look at my lineage. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I can count my lineage all the way back, way further than these other false teachers can. I am the man when it comes to my genealogy. Furthermore, he says, as to the law of Pharisee, I was educated at the best schools. I'm a Harvard grad. I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I had zeal for God. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. That is, blameless. If anyone could be, Paul says, if anybody could have get, gotten to heaven on my own righteousness, it would have been me. It would have been me. Now, he's not saying that he was perfect, but he said, I was pretty close. I was as close as a human being probably could get. And he says here, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as dung, as nothing in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says, I don't... Yeah, if somebody else wants to boast, I've got reason to boast. But all of my reasons for boasting, I counted as loss. I'm not here to brag to you about the things I've done for God. I'm not here to brag to you about the great missionary uh, journeys that I've been on. I'm not here to brag to you about all the churches I've planted. I'm not here to brag to you about any of that stuff, Paul says. I'm here to brag about Christ. Christ. 
and boast in Christ because all of my works in life, they're nothing. They're junk. They're dung. But what matters in life is what Christ has done. And he boasts in Christ. Dear friend, let me tell you, there's nothing that we can do in life. There's nothing that we can accomplish in life that outdoes Christ. Our greatest accomplishments one day will be rubble. Look at Caesar. Look at his grand palace. It's rubble. Look at Hitler and his great empire. It's rubble. Look at all the great leaders of the world and the masses that they built. They're rubble. But what Christ has accomplished is eternal. So whatever we might boast in is nothing. But Christ is everything. Christ is everything. A cross-centered life boasts only in Christ. A cross-centered life is humble rather than prideful. A cross-centered life boasts in Christ rather than self. Third, a cross-centered life values spiritual transformation rather than external ritual. A cross-centered life values spiritual transformation rather than external ritual. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul's saying, look, these guys here, they want you to be circumcised. But I want to tell you, circumcision, it doesn't matter. Non-circumcision, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That's external. That's just an external ritual. That's not what matters. What matters is spiritual transformation. What matters is spiritual transformation. What matters is what's on the inside. You know, when we think about even our own day, we don't have to worry about circumcision and all that kind of stuff so much in the Baptist church. But, but when we think about, about external ritual, there are external rituals that we engage in, aren't there? Uh, we have some denominations around us who, who believe in baptismal regeneration. That is, that you have to have uh, faith in Jesus plus baptism to be born again, to be transformed, to be a Christian, to be saved. Now, we're Baptists, and we hold baptism as important. It is important. And so let me not take away from the importance of baptism. We're going to have two baptisms next week. I'm excited about it. I'm pumped. I'm ready for those baptisms. That's an important thing. But baptism is, is an outward expression on an internal reality. Baptism is an external, an, an, outward, uh, an outward demonstration of an internal reality. And when we come to baptism, it, it is us showing that we are united with Christ in His death, going under the water, His burial, and His resurrection, coming up from the water. That's why we're, as Baptists, we believe by uh, baptism by immersion upon conversion. Because it's that important. It's, it shows our identity, our unity with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. But it's a sign. It's a sign. We're not saved by baptism. We're not saved by baptism. It's a symbol. It represents what we, what's going on inside. It's important because it's that first step towards obedience, following Christ in obedience. It's absolutely important. We need to be baptized. We need to follow and that, that step, take that step of obedience. But we're not saved by baptism. 
We're not saved by baptism. We're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Period. Exclamation mark. Nothing else. Nothing else. The outward ritual doesn't really matter. When the thief there on the cross went to, went to Christ, we see there he was not baptized. When he cried out to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry, it's too late for you. Well, we can't come down and be baptized. No, Jesus said, today, brother, you will be with me in paradise. You see, we do see the sign of an internal transformation there, don't we? Because that same thief, hours earlier, had been cursing Christ, been mocking Christ, just like everybody else around was mocking Christ. Oh, if you're the Christ, why don't you free yourself and us? But yet, somewhere along the way, he looked to Jesus, and his heart was transformed. And instead of denying Jesus, he believed in Jesus. And so he cried out, Lord, Lord, when you enter your kingdom, remember me. There was a transformation that took place. An internal transformation, a spiritual transformation. And Jesus said, today, today, my brother, you will be with me. Paradise. You see, that's what truly matters. And we could add anything. We could add a, a number of other things. Oh, well, you have to be a Christian. You, you, you're only a Christian if you believe in Jesus and dress right. You're only a Christian if you believe in Jesus and, and do this. You're only, Jesus if you believe in, or you're only a Christian if you believe in Jesus and, and do that. We can find all kinds of things to attach to it. And we have a tendency to do that. But we need to make sure that we understand external ritual doesn't matter. It's not about circumcision, non-circumcision, baptism, non-baptism. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ and have the Spirit living in us, transforming us, changing us from the inside out. A cross-centered life. A cross-centered life is concerned about the, int uh, the spiritual transformation rather than external ritual. We must be careful, dear Christian, we must be very careful not to create external marks of salvation. We're always in danger of doing so, but what matters is the internal transformation caused by the Spirit indwelling within us. Has your life been transformed by the Spirit? Has your life been transformed by the power of the gospel? A cross-centered life is a humble, is a humble rather than prideful, boasts in Christ rather than self, values transformation rather than external ritual, and fourth, a cross-centered life walks in truth rather than error. A cross-centered life walks in truth rather than error. Look at verse 16 there. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy, that would be the peace and mercy of God, be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God, Paul is pointing to, is the church. The true Israel. The church of God. As we look at this, though, notice what he says there at the beginning. As for all who walk by this rule... That word rule there is important. That rule, word rule is the, the Greek word kanoan, 
or kanoan. Uh, it's the word from which we get the, our word cannon. And, and not a cannon like you, you shoot, right? Not a, not a Civil War cannon, go boom. But a cannon as in the cannon of Scripture. And so literally this word uh, in the Greek referred to a stick that they would use to measure things. It was a, a kind of a ruler. And carpenters would use it to, to measure things. And so now it's being used, and Paul's using it in, in, uh, in this way, that he's talking about the rule of life, of how to live. Let those who walk by this rule, by this canon, let the peace and mercy of God be upon them. He's talking about this message that, I'm, that he's preaching, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that we find in Holy Scripture. He's pointing to God's Word. The canon of Scripture. You know, the one who is cross-centered, the cross-centered life lives by truth, not by error. The cross-centered life lives by the Word of God. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of messages out in the world that competes with the Word of God. There are many out there who say, well, this is just an ancient book, a, an ancient writing of men. It's really not very valuable to us anymore. I mean, there's some good things in it, but most of it is it's ir- irrelevant. It doesn't have to, anything to do with us. But that's not what the Word says. That's not what Paul is saying. He says this is God's Word. It's eternal. It's always the same. It never changes. It never goes out of date. It never becomes irrelevant. It's always relevant. It's unchanging as God is unchanging. And those who walk by the rule, by the canon of Scripture, they display that their life is cross-centered. They're, trying, they're striving to live for Jesus. They're following Him. They're His disciples. Dear friend, is your life focused on truth? Are you more concerned about following God's Word than than following the the way of the world? Are you more concerned about living in truth rather than error? I'm reminded of a story in the Old Testament, an event in the Old Testament, when King Ahab of of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of of Judah came together to, to battle the Syrians. They were going out to battle the Syrians. And as they were there, they were in Ahab's royal palace and, and they had all of these prophets coming in, giving a word, uh, telling them, oh yes, you're going to have good success today. It's going to be great. You're going to have victory, kings. You're going to have victory. And all of these false prophets were coming in, giving this good, pleasant word. Most likely, these prophets were prophets of Baal or prophets of some other god. Ahab was not a follower of God, but Jehoshaphat was. And so as all of these prophets were coming in, giving all this good word about how great their success was going to be, uh, Jehoshaphat said to Ahab, Is there not a prophet of Yahweh here, the Lord? Is there not a prophet of Yahweh here in this place anywhere? And he said, Well, there is old Micaiah out there. Micaiah, he's he's a prophet of the Lord, but, but Micaiah, he never has anything good to say about me. And he did not like Micaiah. He never had anything good to say about Ahab. But Jehoshaphat said, you know, let it not be so. You, you call him. Let's hear what he has to say. And so they, he sends out messengers to go find Micaiah and call him Micaiah. 
And as the messengers are bringing in Micaiah, one of the messengers says to him, he says, Behold, the words of the prophet with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But listen to this. Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. What my God says, that will I speak. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what all the other prophets say. What my God says, that's what I'm going to speak. And you know what it cost Micaiah? Because Micaiah went in and he says, I see the people of Israel sh uh, scattered like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, King Ahab, you're about to die in battle. God is going to send judgment on, on you and you are going to die in battle. And King Ahab sent him to be in prison with meager rations, rations until they returned. And we don't know what, what happened to Micaiah after that because the king never returned. He died just as the word of the Lord said. You know, dear friend, that's living by truth rather than error. Thing my God says. What my God says, that's what I'm going to say. What my God says, that's what I'm going to live by. I don't care about what the world says. I don't care what the, the popular people in, in society say. And, and I don't care what government says, the way I should live. My God says, I'm going to live that way. A cross-centered life walks in truth rather than error. So a cross-centered life is humble rather than prideful, boast in Christ rather than self, values spiritual transformation rather than external ritual, walks in truth rather than life, and number five, a cross-centered life seeks to please Christ rather than man. A cross-centered life seeks to please Christ rather than man. Look at verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul bore the scars. That word there, marks, it means scars. Paul bore the scars of the cross. He bore the scars of His Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, when you go back in the book of Acts and you see the time period there that Paul planted these churches up in Galatia. When you go back, back there in Acts chapter 14 and you see where he's, he's planting all of these churches, you'll see even then that Paul was taken out of Lystra, of Lystra and stoned to death, I believe to death. He was stoned to death in Lystra because of his proclamation of the gospel. It says they took him outside of the town and they stoned him and left him there for dead. And his, his buddies, the other the guys who were with him, Barnabas and, and others, they came out and they prayed over Paul. And after they prayed over Paul, he got up. But he was stoned. He was stoned. Throughout his life, Paul suffered greatly for the call of the gospel. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. 
He, he was under danger by night and danger by day, he says over in 2 Corinthians. He was danger all around. Danger from his own people. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger, danger, danger. His whole life was defined by persecution because of his testimony of Jesus Christ. He says, I don't care. They can have my life. They can have my life. To, to live as Christ, to die as gain. I get to go with Him if they take my life. I bear the scars of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Scripture promises us if we follow Jesus, we will have scars. We will bear scars. There's all kinds of scars to bear. In America, we don't, we don't have a lot of physical scars for the testimony of Jesus, at least not yet. But we have our scars, do we not? I heard just this past week in the, the news, uh, first of all, there was Pastor Andrew Brunson, who was in prison for two years in Turkey. He was crammed into a tiny cell, a cell built for eight men with 21 Muslims. 21 Muslims who for two years did who knows what to try to convert this pastor, this Christian pastor. Finally, after two years, he's just been released this month. He's 50 pounds lighter and is suffering from, from major health problems because of his two years of imprisonment for the gospel of Jesus Christ. His whole life, he will bear scars because of his testimony from, for Jesus. Along with that, this week I heard about uh, Kelvin Cochran. He, he won his lawsuit against the city of Atlanta. But you'll remember Kelvin uh, Cochran... He was the, the fire chief there in Atlanta, and he was fired because he had written a book for his church that, that basically upheld Christian moral values when it comes to marriage and human sexuality. And the city fired him. Here's this highly decorated chief of, of the fire department, and they fire him because of his Christian values and his Christian beliefs. Now, praise be to God, we had a victory there. We, 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 get, we get to see that, that uh, our First Amendment rights, at least for now, are still being upheld, and, and he got a good settlement for, for that. But do you think he bears scars? He was fired. Stripped of his job, his career that he had given his whole life to. How many people have... His reputation was crushed. Ran through the mud. How many death threats do you reckon he, he got? How many letters do you think he received for his Christian worldview? Oh yeah, he got a good settlement, but he bears scars. Emotional scars. Mental scars. Because of his proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus will bring its scars. It comes with it, its persecution. Paul bore the scars, and, and we will bear the scars when we truly follow Jesus. But the person who seeks to please Christ rather than man will bear scars, physical and emotional. But you know what Paul says? It's worth every bit of it. 
It's worth every stone thrown. It's worth every night spent in sleepless agony. It's worth it all. It's worth every imprisonment to exalt Jesus and to bring to, to proclaim His name above every name. Oh dear Christian, if you follow Jesus, you'll have scars. But one day we look to that day when Christ will return and He says to us, well done. Well done. Enter my rest. And we enter into His eternal rest and we receive His eternal reward. Oh, a cross-centered life has its scars. But it's worth it. Dear friend, the cross is everything. The cross is everything. When we come to realize that, it will change our lives. The cross is everything. We have no hope without the cross of Christ. The old song, Rock of Ages, I love this, this verse here. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Bow I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Dear Christian, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope of eternal life. But Jesus came and He died on the cross for my sin and for your sin. So that we could have life in Him. Oh, how that one significant event changed our lives. It changed our trajectory. We were once headed towards hell, but now because of Jesus, trusting in Him, we have a new destination, a new destiny. Are you following Jesus? Has your life been transformed, utterly transformed about, by that one significant event? Coming to trust in Jesus? Dear friend, the justified life is a cross-centered life. Are you living a cross-centered life today? Perhaps you've considered these five marks of the cross-centered life and, and you kind of can even identify here some places that, that you need help. You're a Christian, but, but you see some places you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with pride. Maybe you're struggling with the pressures of the world and and. and, and conforming to the world rather than God's Word. You're struggling. You're not going to conquer that on your own. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus because the same power by which He saved you, He will transform you. By the same power that He saves you, he will absolutely change your life. He will give you the strength and the power to live according to His will. He will give you the strength and the power to follow Him, pursue Him. He will give you the strength and the power to stand up to persecution and bear the scars of the cross. You'll only trust in Him 
You trusted in Him for your eternal life. Trust in Him for your daily life. For others here today, you don't know the power of the cross because you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never trusted in Jesus. You've never really understood the cross. But today, you can understand the cross that Jesus Christ died for you. It wasn't just to, to give you a good example. It wasn't just to, to, to mark uh, how great He was. It was to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sins. That's what He did on Calvary's cross. And if you trust in Him, He will save you. He will transform you. He will give you new life. Will you trust Him today? Will you allow your life to be transformed by the power of the cross? Will you begin to live the cross-centered life today? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for the cross. We thank You for all that it means to us. Lord, we understand and we confess how weak we are. We are unable we're unable in our own strength and power to live the cross-centered life. And Lord, we need Your power working in us. Not just saving us from eternal judgment, but saving us from this body of flesh here and now. Oh Father, work in us. Let Your Spirit work in us to transform us. Make us cross-centered in our lives. Lord, if there's one, certainly there's one who does not know You, Lord, let them see Jesus today. Let them trust in what He has accomplished for them. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Stand with us if you will.